And maybe this next year is just a year for us to learn how to show up compassionately for ourselves and for each other. Yes. A year of just bearing witness to ourselves. I feel that relief all over my body when you say that. I feel like I could start crying. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi, writers. Today on the Find Your Voice podcast, I'm tackling a big question. The question is, can writing be therapy? And I'm tackling this question with the perfect person, a longtime and dear friend of mine named Jessica Martindale. And the reason Jess is the perfect person for me to tackle this question with is because not only is Jess a writer herself and not the kind of writer who has published a book, although she will someday, but the kind of writer who has written privately for many, many years and used writing as her own kind of therapy. But also Jess recently started a program to officially become licensed as a therapist herself. And she's finished the school part of that process and is now in her practicum where she's actually working with clients. And like she says in this episode, that experience of beginning to work with clients and having a supervisor help her to guide these people through their own therapeutic process has really taught her some misconceptions she had about the therapeutic process in general. And to me, this is really important because I'm obviously such a huge advocate for using writing as a tool for personal growth and using it as a kind of self-therapy. And at the same time, I have to draw a line when there are mental health issues involved, writing can't always be the only tool that we use and it isn't always enough. So how do we know if it's writing that's for us or if we should go find and hire a therapist? Jess is going to answer that question for us today. And I sneak in a few special little questions for you out there too, who haven't done therapy before and are thinking about it. I ask Jess how to find a great therapist, where to start if you can't afford therapy, and a bunch of other questions that I think you're going to love to hear her answers. So buckle up. We're going to dive right in. Here we go. Okay. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, Jessica Martindale. Mm, Allie, I love getting to do this with you. It's so good to have you here. This is the most fun. I love it. Well, can you start off? You're not new to me. You and I have been friends for a long time, but you're new to my listeners. So can you start off by just introducing yourself and talking a little bit about what you do? Yeah. My introduction might be a little 
<laughs> might be a little intense for some people, but <laughs> it is today is January 7th. It's the day after so much has happened at the Capitol. And today, one in four people in Los Angeles are testing positive for COVID. So my introduction today is I'm going to tell you a truth that I like always lean into, which is I'm a child of God. First and mm. foremost, I'm a child of God, loved beyond measure. And I'm a wife and I'm a mom to a very fiery, very gloriously creative <laughs> a little three-year-old. And I'm finishing a graduate program to get my marriage and uh, family therapy degree in pursuit of becoming a licensed clinician. Yeah, I've been on this journey for a long time, but before that I was also a recording artist who traveled the country playing songs and singing to mm. people. And I actually, yeah, it's it feels to me like a continuation of the same thing, just with a different flavor to it. But yes, that is my introduction I today. I love that so much. This is such, always such an interesting question to answer for any of us, like, because there are so many different ways you could think about that question. What do you do? Mm -hmm. But as I was thinking about our conversation today, I was thinking one of the things that you do that you've consistently done for me as a friend, and I've watched you do this for so many other people is, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so thrilled that you're moving into this new career space as a therapist is because you do such an incredible job of holding space for people. Mm. You did this with your music. You've done it in our friendship forever. You're the person mm. who, if, you know, shit hits the fan, <laughs> I need someone to talk to. <laughs> You're someone who I know I can call and you, you can hold the space for me. So it takes a really courageous, strong, empathetic person to do that. And mm. I just wanted to point out that that is one of the many things that you do. Mm. Thank you, Allie. I feel like I know how to hold space for people because people have held it for me. Mm, you being I love that. you being one of them, but mm. I throughout my life have been uh, gifted with beautiful humans who have held space for me, and so it's I really prioritize that. So I'm thank you for pointing mm. that out. I appreciate yes, it, of course. So you're in this training process to become a therapist, which is a long process. I know I've been you, I'm in Nashville now, but you and I lived very close to each other in LA before mm -hmm. I so abandoned you so abruptly. <laughs> what, what was it that made you decide to make this change in your career? I mean, it wasn't a total change in your career, but what, yeah. what made you initiate the process? Man, um, ooh, so many things. So first of all, I used to work at this place called Onsite, which is based right outside in Nashville, Tennessee. And one of the senior clinicians at Milestones, which is a trauma treatment program, always said, I feel like I started training for this work when I was seven years old and I was learning to navigate my family. And mm. that has always resonated as really true for me. I feel like I've been training for this and studying humans for a long time, at first for pretty basic survival reasons and sure. and then thankfully like has grown into just a, a curiosity and I, I got my undergrad in cognitive sciences because I love this field and then and then completely switched gears kind of and went to Nashville Tennessee and pursued music and wrote songs and and performed for seven years which led me to on-site and when I started doing some work with them Basically, my job evolved into being meeting with clinicians and assessing if they would be a good fit for our alumni. And in doing mm -hmm. that, I like had always had this thought that if you're going to be a therapist, you need to be 
like Jesus and Yoda and Oprah mixed up in one person. Like you need to be so no grounded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you need to be so grounded and calm and lovely and like all knowing and wise. Mm. And that job, thankfully, I'm sitting in 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 the room with people who are doing incredible clinical work and realizing like, oh, you're just as human as I am. Wow. And actually maybe there is space for me in this field. And you know, I can be a little it can take me a while to absorb things sometimes. And I had several people speak into my life and say, what are you doing? You need to be a therapist. But I had one clinician in Beverly Hills with like the kind of like the quintessential therapist look that you would see in a movie. With yeah. like the thick, like dark glasses, thick hair, red lipstick, like cool shoes. And she was, yeah, I won't cuss on here, but basically like what <laughs> She's like, what the F are you doing in marketing? You need to be an effing therapist. You were made to be an effing therapist. And and her like being so convicted about it was like, yeah, what am I doing? Like I should. Yeah. And so I literally applied to school. And I mean, as a mom at the time to an almost one-year-old working full-time, started grad school and, and it's been yeah. so hard and I would take nothing for my journey now, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't change What's been the hardest about part about it? Is it just balancing everything or are you saying like the program itself is hard? The program that I'm in is notoriously known for being a bit harder than necessary, but mm. I do appreciate the rigor of it. Yeah, totally. It, it's preparing you. You know, you'll feel like adequately prepared, hopefully, when you enter the hopefully. field. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, here's the thing is before I started this program, I was like, I really hope there's something I can learn here. I've been in the field so long. Like, I hope I learned something. And I freaking learn something all the time. Right now I'm doing um, a practicum where literally a faculty member is watching me do therapy in real time and is texting mm. me directives. And then afterwards is debriefing on like the misses that I had. And it is so humbling, Allie. I like... <laughs> I last night I was like, how did I miss that moment? She was in her pain and I like, I bounced and I shouldn't have bounced. It's, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird learning, but like, I am so grateful that I get to do this. And on the nights that do feel a little bit harder, I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to help me. I, I see so clearly how this is helping me, but I would yeah. say the hardest part though has been being a mom to a little and sure. balancing like my job that I had at onsite was was big and involved travel. And, and then I had, you know, essays and finals and all sorts of things. So I finally did get to a point where I said, okay, something's got to give because where this is impacting is actually my family and that's against my values. So, yeah. 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 I feel you there. One of the best things you've ever said to me is, you know, because I'm, I'm in a similar position. I'm just three years behind you where, balancing mom and work and, you know, all the other things, <laughs> friendships and whatever else. And you said some days as a mom, you'll feel like I'm super mom. How am I doing it all? And then other days <laughs> you'll be like, I, you know, I'm the worst mom ever. I'm failing everything. And you're like, sometimes it'll be the same day. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really so true. Yes. You can swing from one pole to the other. <laughs> yes. It's normal. Oh, well, I feel like it doesn't feel right, even though this episode that we're recording right now isn't going to come out until probably a month from now. But we're recording this on the day after there was, a, you know, I don't even know what to call it, like a like a insurrection, like a takeover at the White House. 
And it doesn't feel right to me to not talk about this, especially in relationship to the work that you're doing, because you're doing this important work where you're sort of holding space for the pain of of people who, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, we've got that happening. And then you also have coronavirus, you know, rising to its highest levels in LA and in other parts of the country. So like, I don't even know. I don't have a question. It's it. My, my question I think is like, how do, what do we do with all the pain that we're. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, such a good question. And, and one that I think the answer would probably oscillate depending on and be different depending on the moment. But in this moment, I keep going back to two of my favorite, there's so many cheesy sayings in therapy world that I love, like feel it to heal it. (laughs) But two that I just like have been really important markers for me have been emotional health is living in reality. So being Mm. present to the real experience, it's not turning a blind eye. It's not, it's not catastrophizing Yesterday, my brain went to the inauguration and what's going to happen. And oh my gosh, we shouldn't even have an inauguration party. We should just protect it. Like I went to, you know, some catastrophizing extremes. Yeah. Perhaps, maybe. But it's, and it's also not. (laughs) I mean, honestly, in the world we're living in, it's who knows? (laughs) Well, and isn't this the crazy thing about trauma too? That like it, trauma messes with your head in a way where you, you actually really, start to wonder like what is possible? I don't know. I'm, I'm derailing you maybe, but yeah, I mean, but that's, that's 2020, right? Like I think so many times I'd be like, this is insanity. And then like, it would go to another level of insanity. And so I'm just, yeah, this, this moment that just happened, as Biden said yesterday, this dark moment in history that happened yesterday is it's shocking to the senses. So so one other saying that is really, I think, important and that has felt tethering to me is this, we heal when we feel safe. And mm. so I think, you know, this is why therapists don't do deep childhood trauma work with someone who's actively in a abusive relationship or who's actively in addiction, because if you're actively in crisis, you can't go back and heal those yeah. those trauma wounds from your childhood, those primary moments that we have in our life. And so I think right now living in reality means this is, this is a hard, we may not be able to heal at this moment in time when we don't actually, I personally don't feel fully safe. I feel hypervigilant going, you know, to the grocery store. And so, so I think acknowledging that and honoring that and going, oh, this is so normal that mm-hmm. I feel, you know, we're having this, like we're having, if, if I also want to honor some people may not be connected to this news and might not live in Los Angeles and numbers might yeah. be lower. And some of these things may not feel as, you know, big to you. And that's, everybody's on their own path. So I'm truly speaking for me, but in a lot of people in LA is this, like, we've had this adrenal fatigue because we're just pumping out this, our primary stress hormone of cortisol, yeah, yeah. which is so for months and months and months and months, months. Yeah. for 10 months. Yeah. And, and we have this, you know, cortisol is what helps us really sharpen and hone in on what we need to focus on so we can move into fight, flight, freeze, or appease. But 
the long-term effects of that are, are weight gain specifically in like your face and your belly. And so you'll see people with a lot of weight in their face and their bellies, but perhaps skinnier arms or legs, like that mm. could be directly linked to increased and, and overused cortisol or, or swings in your mood. It affects, you know, having a lot of cortisol being pumped through our adrenal gland for an extended period of time, like many of us have had, it also affects your skin and your memory and it disrupts your sleep. So I think yeah, just normalizing that if those things are being experienced, like this isn't a shortcoming, there's a lot of external trauma, collective trauma that's yeah. going on. And I think the more we can lean into a lot of like Kristen Neff's self-compassion work, the better, which is really taking time. For me, this looks like putting my hand on my heart and my hand on my belly and taking a big breath and going, oh, of course you feel stressed today. Yeah. There are big things happening. Being present to yourself and using words and writing and bearing witness to yourself. Okay. So it feels like an important time to ask this question because I have a lot of people ask me, you know, well, I'll talk about the power of a tool like writing to help you be present with yourself and cope with anxiety and all these different things. And I'm, you know, I talk about this to my dying breath. I really believe in it so much and I've experienced so many of the benefits from it, but people will say like, do I just need to write about it or do I need therapy? And mm. I don't feel necessarily equipped to answer that question because I'm mm. not a therapist, mm. but I always say, you know, like everybody needs therapy. So if you can afford therapy, please, by all means, mm. like don't ever hesitate to enlist the help of a professional but I'm wondering if you could bring some more insight to that question, especially thinking through the t period of time that we're living in right now, how, mm -hmm. how heavy 2020 was. The first part of 2021 has so far not proven to be any different. Hopefully mm -hmm. there's a break, a light at the end of the tunnel coming. Yes. But as yes. we're working to process all of this pain that we've all lived through collectively, what, do we need therapy? <laughs> how do we know if we need therapy? <laughs> we all need therapy. Um, okay, so there's this really awesome book that came out called The Power of Writing It Down. <laughs> Allie did not know I was going to bring this up, but you guys, I am like over halfway done. I'm loving this book and I think everyone should pick it up and it's way cheaper than a therapy session and it gives <laughs> you the actual tools for what that looks like. But one of the things that you said is great writing begins with great questions. Mm -hmm. And I also think the same is true for therapy. Great therapy begins with great questions. It begins with people who are ready and willing to show up and actually do the work. So to answer your question, I was thinking, because I figured you might ask this, and I think I was thinking about how running is to exercise as mm. writing is to emotional health, meaning- okay. Running, all it takes is a pair of shoes, you showing up, you moving your yes. body and engaging in the process, and there are incredible benefits that happen. And there may come a point, for me personally, I don't, I don't know if it's because I don't have a good form or because something with my body, but I will get stress fractures and tendonitis. And so I need to have additional things in my exercise practice. It could yeah. be even like yoga. You, you just need a mat in a YouTube, you know, video, yes, you can do yes. it. So it's this, it's this beautiful, powerful tool to move your body. That's always available to you. And similarly writing, I do think is this beautiful, powerful tool that's always available for you. And it's most helpful if you're not just 
you know, picking up the pen and just talking about how much everything sucks right now and how awful this is and like really committing to the victim mentality. That's why I love when I saw that line in your book, I was like, that's it. Great writing Mm -hmm. begins with great questions. It's not us showing up to the paper to vent. Perhaps that needs to happen. Yeah. But I do believe what we focus on grows. And so if we're just focusing on how awful everything is, yeah. And we're co- we're committing our brain to that story and we're going to yeah. live so that is the true story. And so if we can actually show up to the paper with some questions of where is the light? Where is the truth? Where is the how am I empowered right now? What can I actually do? For me, perhaps empowerment is staying home and making that really hard choice and saying no to really fun things that I really want to mm-hmm. do. You know, yeah. like it's it's taking the time to ask the great questions to get the most out of writing. I love that. Okay. So if someone is, let's just say that someone decides they do need therapy. I know there are a bunch of different ways that therapists approach therapy. And I thought you'd be a great person to talk about like some of the different therapeutic models. And then, and then I'd Mm -hmm. love for you to talk about which one you're drawn to too and why, Mm -hmm. because yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll let you kind of take this where you want to go. And then I might have a couple more questions for you. Yeah. So we'll start at the, at the most important piece of this, which is actually even more like research shows beyond what modality your therapist use. The most healing factor is the connection and the relationship that you have with mm. your therapist. That is the really? most important That's piece. That's so cool. I love isn't, that. Isn't that awesome? So like <sighs> ideally you find a therapist who is hungry to continue mm. growing in the field and hungry and committed to training but what we have found beyond modality is, is that relationship. So I think first and foremost, find someone you feel safe with, you feel connected to, that you respect, that you feel you can actually be honest with them and that they honor the timing with which you disclose and share. Mm. So before anything else, that, that is the most important piece. With that said, I tend to have a lot of energy I like to move around. It's really hard for me to just sit in a room with someone and like, like do therapy with my prefrontal cortex where I'm basically just getting smarter about my problems. Like, okay, cool. Like (laughs) now I can more, I can better articulate my issues, but I, I love, I adore, this is what I love about onsite. I love like experiential psychodrama work where we bypass the prefrontal cortex, we get into more of the primal brain, but it's done in a way that there's such an emphasis on creating safety. And Mm -hmm. even something that onsite does that I love is like the hospitality. There's such an emphasis on that. Like we take care, the the organization takes such good care of your primary needs. You're you're fed well, there's good shelter, it's pretty, you feel safe. And then, so now like kind of it, it lowers all these defenses. You don't have your phone, so you're not reading the news, you know, you're you're actually yeah, yeah, able to yeah. be present with yourself and then enter into a more experiential thing, which you know looks different depending. Like even equine therapy with horses yeah. is, is so powerful. So the world's really your, your oyster. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear you say that because I, well, I have a similar experience with therapy. I did talk therapy for years and years and years and mm-hmm. didn't feel like well, my, I've been to onsite twice. Mm-hmm. And when I went the first time, I felt like I made more progress in one week at onsite than I had made in yeah. however many years of talk therapy because yeah. it was my first 
interaction with the physical part of therapy that you mentioned and you called it psychodrama, which can sound kind of scary, but it's not, it's really not scary. It's just moving your body Mm -hmm. as you talk about the the Mm -hmm. issues that you're facing in your life. Mm -hmm. And I walked away from that just being like, wow, I had no idea. It helped me Mm -hmm. access things I couldn't have accessed before Mm -hmm. by talking about them. And, Mm -hmm. and anyway, this is also really connected to the writing process because one of the things that even though I teach, I'm kind of getting in the weeds here, but I teach in the book, a cognitive behavioral model, which is Mm -hmm. more of the prefrontal cortex type stuff. But Mm -hmm. even though I teach that in the book, what I talk about is that a writing process really does help you access Mm -hmm. what's in your subconscious mind. It's helping you drop into your limbic system. So that's to to me that dropping into the limbic system without that, it's kind of pointless. Not Is it pointless? I don't know. I would call it pointless to be doing. I think it takes all of it. So here's what's been really interesting is I, you know, working at onsite basically for five years of my life were like very much, that's all I was thinking about. Those were the models I was, the lenses I was thinking through. And I personally, I left onsite and I was like, I want to do the most intensive therapy I can find. I want to go to the deepest end, like take me there. (laughs) So I found something called intensive short-term psychodynamic therapy that was bananas. Like I left every (laughs) session. I was like, I just need someone to like feed me and dab my forehead with cool water. (laughs) Like I am so, it was, it was as intense as it could have been. And I, and I needed that, but I left that going, you know what, now I'm curious. And this is the beautiful thing about humans. We need something different at every stage of our life. Perhaps you need to start with the prefrontal cortex to begin growing in our familiarity. And then maybe you're ready for something a little bit deeper. Maybe move into something like brain spotting or something like narrative therapy, where you use the power of story to do some emotional work. But Mm. I moved, now I'm doing, I meet with someone who weekly, and that was when she was like, what's your priority? I'm like, actually, my priority is just consistency. I want to meet with you every Monday. I want to know we're going to talk about whatever. And sometimes it's pretty like, we don't go super deep, but the consistency of like, I'm committing to just continuing to show up for myself and letting it be what it needs to be. That's where I'm at today. That's probably way more information than your readers. No, no, I actually feel like this is so important, especially connecting it back to what we were talking about, about this period of time in history that we're living through, because Mm -hmm. I think you're touching into something that just a reminder that we all need that we don't have to like go really deep and do yes. deep work in a period yeah. of time in life when things are yeah. nutty. Like yeah. maybe, maybe it's not what's called safe to yes. in some cases, it's not safe to you're not safe yet. So we can't heal. We, our healing may come in 2022 and that's okay. That's oh. okay. And maybe this next year is just a year for us to learn how to show up compassionately for ourselves and for each other. Maybe that's our whole thing is like, I'm just going to let myself be a bit of a mess and go, Ooh, of course you're a mess. This is what's good. You know, like maybe it's a year of just bearing witness to ourselves. I feel that relief all over my body. When you say that, I feel like I could start crying because, Mm. you know, I mean, it's so tough because like, you know, you mentioned all of us are in different places as it relates to like, you know, the way that we're experiencing this trauma in part, depending on our privilege and in part, depending Mm -hmm. on where we live Mm -hmm. in the country. And, and, you know, I feel like I, despite the fact that I lived through most of the pandemic in Los Angeles, which I do think had its own extra layer Mm -hmm. of trauma, but I I also have a ton of privilege and even the enough privilege that I could leave the Los Angeles area when I felt like it was becoming too much. And so sometimes I feel like, 
all in all, when all is said and done, like I have it pretty great. I've got mm-hmm. my family's all safe. Like we're mm-hmm. sheltered. We've got mm-hmm. everything that we could possibly need. Like we have access, we have support, we have resources, whatever. And so I feel, I talk myself through this in the way so many of us do, where I sort of like downplay my own experience mm-hmm. of the trauma. And mm-hmm. I think what you're giving us permission to do is just to mm-hmm. say, however I've experienced the mm-hmm. trauma of 2020 and the early part of 2021, it is my trauma. It's mine to own. Yes. It's mine to, to live with. And it's okay yes. if it just feels like too much right now. <laughs> yeah. And you're, I've said this outside, out loud to myself. I've said this out loud about myself to my husband. My pain matters. My pain matters and emotional health is living in reality. And the reality for me today is that one in four people in Los Angeles have a virus. And the reality for me today is my country that I live in, that I choose to live and stay in and be the change I wish to see. Like there is major disruption and an uncertainty in that. That is real. That's not. Yeah. I appreciate you reinforcing Mm. that. Yeah. I think it's really important to just honor. I'm going to literally write my pain matters on a sticky note and put it on my bathroom mirror. It's so, it's, it's so helpful. So what if someone would like to experience therapy, but can't afford it? Do you have, I I don't know if you have practical thoughts for what someone could do. Yeah. There's um, just like you know, Vidal Sassoon. Am I saying that brand right? Vidal, Vidal Sassoon. <laughs> just, <so>. like, <laughs> just like they have schools for, you know, people who are in training to become great hairstylists. Schools where they're training therapists typically have a really cost-effective mm. option as well for new clinicians to basically learn on learn how to do therapy with you. The cool thing about that, though, is that they often, you know, almost always have intensive supervision in those situations. So like you could pay five to $10 to go do therapy and you know, you are going to do therapy with someone who's learning. So there might be some clunky or awkward moments, but you have a supervisor who's really going to prioritize making sure nothing goes off the rails and that you are going to move forward. And, Mm. and another cool thing is because they're a student for a finite amount of time, there will be a termination. So it's not this, you know, indefinite thing you're, you can kind of sign up for something, more tangible and swallowable. Also betterhelp.com I know has like more cost effective options. Okay. One other thing that comes to mind is um, is group therapy. If you Ooh. know of a if you know of a therapist in your area who, you know, maybe is more expensive, if they do have a group therapy option, that tends to be a more cost effective way to do it. And I will say I'm a huge proponent of the group therapy process because one of the elements of, of self-compassion is understanding our own common humanity. Mm. And, and that's what group therapy does. It gives you this sense of, oh, I'm not alone. I think that's why yeah. we listen to podcasts because we're hungry for this sense of, oh, somebody else feels that too. Yeah. This has been my experience with group therapy too. And in fact, one of the things that surprised me about being a part of group therapy is how much healing I have watching someone mm. else get their mm-hmm. healing. Mm-hmm. So like you think, you know, if I have an hour therapy session and I'm splitting it with five people, then mm-hmm. I'm only going to get 15 minutes or whatever. But mm-hmm. actually what ends up happening is you, you might do no talking in the whole therapy session, but I'm watching someone else get their healing. And because I can connect 
mm-hmm. to their story in some way because I mm-hmm. can resonate with some part of it. I'm also experiencing like a like a tangential healing to them. It's it's really powerful. They bring in like things that you wouldn't think to. In some totally. ways, one-on-one therapy, we're confined by our own experience of, of the day, the own experience of our past, our own imagination. Mm. And group therapy, we're tapping into the imagination and experience of six people and or eight people or whatever it ends up being. And so it's it, you're right. It's almost like a bigger experience. Yeah. Perfect. I want to talk, I want to change gears just a little bit and talk about Mm -hmm. some books that you love because Mm. one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is the power of words to create positive change in people's lives. And, you know, we just really encourage people to be courageous with their words and to not second guess that they have something to say. So I would love for you to share some books that have meant a lot to you or or maybe even just one book, but one, two or three books that have meant a lot to you. Mm. One of the books that first comes to my mind is actually a novel. It's called The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls. Mm-hmm. It came out years ago, but it was one of the first books I read where I felt I felt super understood. Yeah. And like, there's something to me, Allie, there's something so cool about novels where it's almost like getting, it's almost like getting a sermon without someone preaching. Yeah. It's it's meaty and it's juicy and we get to explore so much without it being like, you know, here's what I think and here's why. And, and almost like a dissertation self-help way that so many books are right now, which I think is, it has its own purpose and place. And I've gotten a lot from those books too, but I'm so drawn to novels right now. Another, only two or three. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to do three because I can't help myself. One that I actually got off of your I know which one you're going to was <laughs> The Choice by Dr. Edith Ava Eager or Eager. So, good. oh my word. Like, oh my word. I love that book. I want everyone I know to read that book. Give like the quick synopsis. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. So she's, I think she's like 94 years old now and she survived the Holocaust and she, she, so she tells the story of this, of how she survived that and how she used her mind to survive that and how she would go to different places when it was the darkest and the scariest and how that literally saved her. And then how once she was safe, once she was in America, once she was removed, her body started to give her all the information she needed mm-hmm. to know like, hey, we're ready to heal now. And she walks through that process and she... One of her mentors was Viktor Frankl, who most of us know is a wonderful clinician and author. Mm -hmm. And it's just a powerful book about normalizing pain, about growing our own resiliency and finding deep, profound joy. This is what's so cool about therapy and about healing and about like pursuing your own health is the more we allow ourselves to feel that deep, heavy, dark pain that most of us spend our lives running from, which is why quarantine has been so hard for so many of us because we're left to actually sit and feel our own pain and not just like hop on a plane and go somewhere Mm -hmm. fun and distract ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not talking from personal experience. Not at all. (laughs) But but when we're actually slowing slowing it all down and feeling our deep pain, when we allow ourselves the time and space to do that, 
then we have this beautiful, deep joy that's now accessible to us. It it widens feeling the hard emotions we usually avoid just widens our opportunity to feel the happy, good, beautiful, rich ones too. I love that. Oh my gosh. That was more than a couple sentences. I highly recommend that book. The last one is Mary Oliver's Devotions. It's just poetry. Mary Oliver it's about outside. is the goddess. She's she is the goddess. <laughs> She's so my favorite quote to share from Mary Oliver, and I'm sure our listeners have heard me say this one a few times, but she rarely ever did an interview. And she did an interview with Krista Tippett of On Being Podcast, which I know you love and listen to. Mm-hmm. And she Krista asked her, How have you written so prolifically throughout your life? And she said, I think it's two things. Number one, I don't own a cell phone. And number two, I spend an inordinate amount of time in the woods. <laughs> Is that like the most brilliant thing you've ever heard said in your life? <laughs> yes, it's so good. And you feel it. I feel it when I read her poems yeah. more than anything else. I feel it. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what's true and good. Like, nature has so much to teach us. And I get distracted because I've got lots of shiny screens around me. Yeah. I mean, I see three screens, like, at this moment. Yeah. You know? Like, there's so much begging for our attention. So, hmm. oh, that's so good. What, where is the intersection, do you think, between words writing and the therapeutic process like what what how can they inform each other what role does writing play in therapy and what role might therapy play in our writing so obviously this is jessica talking and not you know i'm sure so many other people would have brilliant things to say but this is my thought on it i think Writing is a useful tool to begin organizing ourselves so that when we get into therapy, we actually, we're not so disorganized. We spend a lot of time continuing to feel disorganized. It helps us get to the root quicker. Mm. And then I think after therapy, what I try to do is just even give myself five minutes to jot down the things that either I said or that she said that resonate as truth that I want to remember because I do think there's something important that happens at least in my brain, and you probably know the science way better than I do, but after I've had a profound experience, if I immediately write about it, it solidifies it yes. in a different way in my brain. Totally. It's moving it to a different compartment of your brain. And I did this forever without, like I did it intuitively without really knowing why I was doing it. I, and it sounds like you did too, but um, that just the sense of like when you have an epiphany in a therapy session, just writing it down. The act of writing it down actually moves it to the other mm-hmm. to another part of your brain to your frontal cortex actually so that you mm-hmm. it, it helps the mm-hmm. trauma move out of your limbic system and and mm-hmm. into your frontal cortex so that it doesn't feel mm-hmm. so it's not so that it's not driving your daily behavior anymore do you yeah what yeah. role does writing play in your daily life so I've been in a unique situation with a with a three-year-old <laughs> usually that means like you don't you hit the ground running yes <laughs> but truly for covid reasons and just needing support while I'm finishing grad school and seeing a whole bunch of clients in a week. And Kyle, my husband is, is teaching students. We are living with my in-laws. And so many hands, light work (laughs) has been the biggest gift of, this has been the biggest gift of all of quarantine, honestly, for me. Like we, my daughter's, yeah, her mood has just changed drastically since we've been surrounded by so many people who just are, you know, she's the bee's knees. 
So every morning for the past like three weeks, she wakes up and goes to her Nana's room and they snuggle and do whatever they do. And so it's given me this really unique opportunity as a mom to a three-year-old to wake up and I immediately start, I, you know, if I had a dream, I'll write it down. And then I, I start every day with a gratitude. And even before I was given this kind of (laughs) unique opportunity, I tried every day to write gratitude down. Mm -hmm. Say it in my head sometimes, voice memo it sometimes, but I do prefer to write it down because it's nice to go back and be really specific, not just like, I'm alive today. Why am I happy I'm alive today? And then also seeing clients. I'm I'm writing quite a bit after those sessions too, just Mm. trying to remember, notice themes, notice. So it's not, it's, it may not, yeah, it's writing in a very traditional sense right now. A lot of emails, a lot of notes, <laughs> but it counts. It totally counts. And here, I have a couple things to say about this because number one, I've worked for years with clients who were moms. And so I, I've learned about the, like through hearing them tell me their stories, I learned about the experience of being a mom and would have them kind of push back on assignments I would give them and talk about not having much time or not much space to themselves or whatever. And it wasn't until I became a mom, just like anything, like I'm like living the experience. I'm in a very embodied sense right now that I, that it really sunk in for me, what all of what they were saying. And to the moms out there who get any writing done ever in your life, you're a champion and a hero and you're amazing. And because of that, this is the second thing I wanted to say. I want to, I'm really focusing on debunking this myth that we have about the writing life that in order to get any writing done, you need huge swaths of time all to yourself, like, mm-hmm. you know, hours or weeks at a time, or you have to go like away and book a cabin in the woods. Like that, mm-hmm. that idea that we have of what it means to be a writer is outdated and it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. The writing mm-hmm. that creates transformation in our lives happens in the margins. It happens like, you know, just yeah. like you're talking about the stuff that doesn't feel fancy. It doesn't feel you don't know if anybody else is ever going to see it or read it or, you know, you don't know if it's going to be, if anyone else will ever read the words, but there are words that you jot down to yourself in, you know, a free moment that you have something you scribble on a cocktail napkin, something you write minutes before a business meeting starts, something that you write on the, the, you know, in your notebook on the hood of the car while you're waiting to pick your kids up from practice or whatever it is, like those tiny little margins of time that we can find to write something down I think it's so important that we not discount those kind of ordinary moments of writing because actually not only are those the words that are going to have the most transformative effect on us, but those also are the seeds that get planted that grow into words that we can share Mm. if we do want to share Mm. in the future, our experience, Mm -hmm. our story, our transformation with other people. So I think what you shared is so perfect and so important for people to hear that having a writing practice play a role in your life doesn't mean that you have to like journal for an hour every morning before you're, you know, it's just not, I miss those yeah, days yeah. that like, Oh, lovely. But yeah, that's not where we're at. It will, it'll come back around to us. Jess, when, when we're in, that <laughs> we'll turn into Mary we Oliver in our sixties. Exactly. I agree with that. I also like the notes section on my phone. I have a couple titled, like sometimes memories will come back to me and I don't know if I'll write a book one day. I don't know. But I want to remember them. So if when like big moments that I or funny moments come back to me, it's like, you know, silly things that happened is one title or awkward moments or, you know, times I put a foot in my mouth. I have these these titles and I'll just go write two sentences when a memory comes back to me. And it feels like I'm like 
you know, preparing for something, maybe one day honoring, you know, the story in the moment, Yeah, but it's fun and it takes two seconds. It takes no time at all to, you know, just to pause what you're doing and jot it down. That's such a great piece of advice for anybody who's listening, who's wondering how to kind of, you know, how can you implement a regular practice of writing in your life in a really simple way? That's a brilliant, brilliant way to do it. Is there any, you have feel like you have any last words for listeners or anything else that you want to say that we haven't talked about yet? I do. The question I was most prepared to answer, you did not oh. ask me. So I'm going to ask Okay, myself. ask yourself the question. <laughs> I love it. What does it mean to me to find my voice? Oh, I have thought about this. I, talk, I got so excited about talking to you, I forgot to ask you. Yes, what does it mean to you to find your voice? <laughs> Great question, Allie. Um, <laughs> so what I love about this question is... Find, what does it mean to find your voice is implying that at some point you lost mm-hmm. it or you gave it away or it was taken from you, which does resonate as true for me. And I know probably for most of your listeners, we're looking, we're trying to yeah. find our voice. So for me, finding my voice is giving myself the time and the space to honestly putz and to like be quiet mm-hmm. and to be unscheduled because when I'm overcommitted and overplanned and overworked, I... I give away my voice like it's hot kicks. Yeah. Like who else who else wants to tell me what to do? <laughs> who else wants to tell me what to, But when I am like rested and when I am have collected myself as much as possible as a you know human engaging in the world. Yeah. I I can hear my voice, but I think the most important piece of finding my voice and listening to it is believing mm. it. Yeah. And I think you're saying too, it's, it's there. You don't have to go out in the it's world there. to find it. It's in you. Yes. You are your voice. And it's been there. <gasps> yes. And it's been there the whole time. So and when you hear it, believe it. Yeah. There have been so many times for me personally that I have like heard it and been like, Ooh, but everybody else is saying this. I wonder if I'm missing something. I probably have a blind spot and I don't listen to it. And I regret it. Yeah. Those are the only regrets in my life have been times when I've known that's not okay. Or this isn't the best thing for me. And I don't believe it. So my like, I'm on fire for when you find your voice, effing believe Mm. it. I love that. That's, thank you for that benediction. I feel like that's what it is. It's like a, like send us all out into the world and with the reminder to believe in our own voice. And I don't know when exactly this message will be reaching our listeners, but I, I can tell you in this particular atmosphere that we're all living in. I don't think there's anything, any more important message that we could hear or know or hold true right now mm-hmm. than that our voice matters and, and to believe mm-hmm. in that voice. So Jess, mm-hmm. thank you for taking the time with us today. Thank you for holding the space for us as you always do so well. Thank you for this generous mm-hmm. gift. You, you're such a gift to me and I'm grateful to get to introduce you to my listeners now too. Thank you, friend. This was so fun. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.